Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, and welcome back to the Psych Legal Pop podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about popular culture through the lens of an attorney and a therapist. I'm Brooke Brigham. I'm an attorney. And I'm Tess Brigham. I'm the therapist. So today we are going to be talking about the uh, Menendez murders. Um, And this is uh, Lyle and Eric Menendez, who were convicted for killing their parents, Jose and Kitty Menendez. And you might be asking, why are you talking about this 30-year-old murder case? Um, And there's a reason, because uh, next week we're going to be covering a new documentary that's coming out in a few days, and it's called Menendez to Menudo. So as we're going to be talking about the um, defense that Lyle and Eric Menendez used in to to justify why they killed their parents was that their father, Jose Menendez, had been sexually abusing them uh, since they were very young children. And he was also very um, physically abusive, aggressive, you know, demeaning, demoralizing, you know, everything. He was just... And their mother was... A real monster. Then their mother took the father's side. Mm -hmm. They did tell the mother, I think Lyle, the older one, he did try to tell the mother uh, she, you know, didn't do anything about it, didn't believe him. She was also an alcoholic and, I mean, according to them, alcoholic addicts and verbally abusive. Yeah. And, so she was no angel. And maybe physically abusive, too. Right. So, so now, they were both bad. So people. now what has happened is, um, if, if you don't remember this, there was a, Menudo was a boy band, probably the first boy band. This is before 98 Degrees or NSYNC. They were one of the first boy bands Mm -hmm. and they were all Latin um, Mm -hmm. from different countries and they kind of rotated members in and out, Mm -hmm. but they were just always Menudo. Yes. Well, Ricky Martin was in Menudo. uh Yes. And so uh, Jose Menendez was in the music industry Mm -hmm. and apparently he was kind of obsessed with Menudo Mm -hmm. 
And uh, now one of the members of Menudo has come forward. You know, he's now like a 50s man in his 50s or something and has said that Jose Menendez molested him, sexually abused him uh, when he was a, a teen and he was in this group. So now, you know, we're coming back full circle because mm-hmm. this is the first kind of corroboration of any sort mm-hmm. that Lyle and Eric have ever had. And they were really at the time. So Lyle, uh, he at the time, I think, was 20. The time of the murders, I think it was 21. Eric was like 19. And um, they had, well... Let me back up. I don't want to say they'd never told anyone. They had told yes. some family members. And again, they tried to tell their mom. But, you know, when when the trial was going on, there was actually two trials. Um, the first one, it was a hung jury for both. And so they retried them and they were convicted in 1996. And we'll get more into this later about the details of the trial. But they really weren't believed yeah. by the general public and yes. they were kind of made fun of and mm-hmm. like, you know, the, Oh, these are just two spoiled rich kids who wanted to uh, inherit their parents' money. And they're just using this abuse excuse. Um, that was the first time that term had ever come out and uh, it didn't really go well for them. And we were talking before we started about how, you know, um, if this had happened today, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, because now the attitude is, and it should be the same for men and women, Yes, is that if somebody says that they have been sexually assaulted, you believe them. Mm-hmm. Because statistically, the chances of someone lying about something like that are like less than 1%. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were not believed at all. They were not believed. And um, what was, I mean, I don't know if you're going to get into the details of the murders, but you know, they, the murder happened in August of 1989 and they were caught or they would turn themselves in, in March of 1990. And between that time, they both went on a spending spree, Mm -hmm. essentially, which did not help their case. Yeah. They were buying Rolexes and Porsches Porsches and and chain restaurants and, you know, kind of living this high life. And, um, Apparently, the cops had zeroed in on them pretty quickly, but they just didn't have the evidence. So um, that really did not help their case. And this was one of those cases that got tried in the media Mm -hmm. very quickly. Um, And the first uh, the first uh, trial was on court TV. So it got tried in the media very, very quickly. And these boys were you know, it had never been revealed until it was re- revealed during that first case what was really, truly going on with them. So and it also wasn't revealed till I think right before the trial. Mm-hmm. So it took a very, it took a pretty long time for the case to come to trial. They're arrested. 93. So they're, yeah, they're yeah. arrested in 90. Then they had to, then the trial wasn't until 93. So people had, you know, many, many years of getting stuck in their heads that these were two spoiled, rich entitled boys that wanted that killed their parents for no reason for no reason other than they wanted their money now right they wanted this 14 million dollar estate right now and that was what this was all about right so they so yeah right before the trial they disclosed the defense disclosed that the this was going to be their defense Mm -hmm. that they had been um 
abused for years and that they murdered their parents out of fear that their father would kill them after they threatened to expose him. Um, So, yeah, apparently right before the murders, I forget what instigated this. I think it was... I have so many notes. It's really hard to... um, Because they did decide to use, because we were talking about this, they did decide to use the battered women's syndrome. They felt like they were in danger because they were going to expose him. They felt like they were in danger. They felt like they had no choice. Right. So that is what is called imperfect self-defense. So because the prosecution was saying this is a first degree premeditated Mm -hmm. murder. And for a I, I can't forget. I can't remember how long for at first they were still sort of saying, oh, we didn't do this. You mm-hmm. know, it was the mob or, you know, they had these yeah. theories. And then they finally said, yes, we did it. Mm-hmm. And so the trial was not about who did it. Mm-hmm. The trial was about whether they should be convicted of murder or manslaughter. Mm-hmm. So um, there's something called imperfect self-defense where um it's a killing that would otherwise be murder, but it's reduced to voluntary manslaughter if the defendant killed the person because he acted um, with an honest but unreasonable belief that they needed to defend themselves. Yes. So that's what they claim, that it might sound crazy to, to you and me mm-hmm. that they felt they had to because they shot their parents while they were sitting on the couch yeah. watching TV. And it was it was a brutal crime scene. I mean, that was one thing is they have this very 80s, you know, if you see the living room, it's this very 80s white couch, mm-hmm. you know, and both the parents are wearing white, you know, and they shoot they shoot dad six times. They shoot mom 10 times. And apparently they reloaded. Yes. In the middle. And they went out and reloaded. They had shotguns. They went out and reloaded. And went back into the house to shoot mom in the face. Um, so, and if you see the dad is slumped on the couch and mom is like curled up on the floor. Yeah. So for many people, the the feeling is, okay, right. Like you're not in imminent danger. These, you know, let's, even if you were abused by your parents, even if these are the worst parents known to man, that you're not, they're not hurting you right at this moment. You did go down because they learned that, that, you know, one of them went down to San Diego to buy these shotguns with a fake name. Mm -hmm. You know, isn't that first degree murder? Isn't that planning out a murder? You know, you're not in danger. You go outside to reload and you're shoot. I'm just, I'm just saying that like, you, you go outside you to reload and you shoot your parents. Now, I can understand how they would want to go. I mean, I, if Kitty was my mother, I'd want to go outside to reload too and but, shoot but her right in the face. But what had happened a couple days before the murder mm-hmm. and what instigated it was that, okay, so Lyle's the older one. Yes. He was, he was molested, I think, beginning when At he was six. six. Yeah. Until I can't remember what age, but basically at a certain age, um, the father stopped molesting, according to them, stopped molesting Lyle and started molesting Eric, Mm -hmm. who's the younger one. And apparently he he carried on with Eric for much longer. Mm -hmm. And so and Eric and Lyle didn't know. Mm. Like Lyle never told Eric. Eric never told Lyle. Although in the trial, it came out that. Um, Lyle had sexually abused Mm -hmm. Eric Mm -hmm. at least one time. So he was just acting out like what had happened to him. 
anyway, so they go through their teenage years and everything, and they're, they're not, no one's talking about this. But in the meantime, their father is really, really just critical, harsh, very hard on them. You know, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess Eric finally told Lyle what had happened to him, mm-hmm. that he had been molested all this time. And Lyle confronted Jose and Jose basically threatened to, so Lyle was threatening to, mm-hmm. you know, expose this and the father basically threatened to kill him mm-hmm. you know, destroy him or, you know, whatever. And um, if he ever said anything to anybody. Um, and so that was the crux of the, the threat. Mm-hmm. And so, because he had seen his father do terrible things and kind of knew he was probably capable of this and he didn't feel like he could just be silent. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, it just all started just kind of snowballed mm-hmm. and this happened over the course of, then it happened pretty quickly after that over mm-hmm. the course of, uh, it was like a week. And then that's when they bought the guns. Mm-hmm. And then, so they bought the guns as a way of protecting themselves. I think so. I think that was their initial. And they, it seemed like they started to become a little bit paranoid too. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And I think they bought the guns for protection. Mm-hmm. Cause they said that they thought that the father was going to kill them because now the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. Now they both know mm-hmm. Lyle and Eric both know what happened to each other mm-hmm. and they're confronting the dad mm-hmm. and this is all kind of fa- falling apart. Yeah. And then their justification for killing the mom was they basically like, listen, mur- this mom sounds um, horrendous. I mean, no, she's all, <laughs> she's awful too. Oh, and I think there was some talk that she had um, molested, um, one of them mm. or been sexually inappropriate with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but they saw it more like a mercy killing, like in the sense that like, because, Oh, the father was a cheater mm. and you know, he was just an awful person. And you mm-hmm. know, it was just like the mother was harder to understand. Yeah. But no, but like you said, but she, she was awful and, and they were a team. Yeah. She stuck up for the father. Yeah. So she's aligned yeah. with the father. So how can they just kill the father? And Listen, not kill I totally her? understand killing these people. <laughs> I'm with you on this one. I mean, I get it completely. Yeah. But okay, that makes a lot more sense. Cause I, I, I knew that there was some sort of confrontation. I knew all that. But if it's if this this but I didn't really because I knew they had gone down to San Diego. I mm-hmm. knew they used a fake name, but I but I didn't know this was all within this time frame and that they they were doing this to protect themselves. Okay. Yeah. With that. So that's different. That's not premeditated. It's a little different. Right. And so, um, let's see. Yeah. Lyle said the abuse stopped when he was eight years old. Later realized it was because Jose turned his focus to Eric. And then Eric's abuse was until he was a teen. Like I think well so. into. Yeah. A long years. time. Yeah, it was three days before the murder when Lyle confronted Jose, threatened to reveal the abuse. Um, yeah, so... Um, so in here, what had happened was... So, I think, was it Eric or... One or both of them, when they were um, in under 18 they got in some kind of trouble with the juvenile court over 
a robbery or something. And that's when they started seeing this um, psychologist. Oh, Jerome. Um, Jerome Oziel. Oziel. Yeah, this part I thought was really interesting because apparently this Jerome is the family therapist. Or was he Eric's He was Eric's. He was, okay. I think he was seeing both of them, maybe. Because I've seen that I, one person called him a psychiatrist. Another person called him a psychologist. Two different things. Right. One's a medical doctor. Well, the other him, one's a PhD. They called him doctor. Well, but that, that that's both a psychiatrist is a doctor and a psychologist is a doctor. It's just one's a medical doctor and the oh, other okay. one's a PhD doctor. One can prescribe. One went to medical school and can prescribe meds. The other one's just a PhD and is a psychologist and performs therapy. So I would think more of a psychologist if he's having therapy. Mm-hmm. And then, so what's interesting is apparently this psychologist, Jerome, who's a real shitty therapist, if he is, I'm sorry. But so I guess apparently this is, they say this is the family therapist. That, uh, the family never went to therapy. Okay, so that's the part I don't no. make sense. So apparently Eric was seeing him. Because he'd gotten in some trouble. Trouble. I think the, the parents said, you know, you need help. Or, okay. you know, they, he was starting to become a little juvenile delinquent so or something. apparently he was continuing to see him. And so after the murders, he confessed to Jerome, mm-hmm. I killed my parents. Mm-hmm. And when someone confesses now, if he said, I'm going to harm my parents, then Jerome's obligation is to warn the parents, your kid's going to come and kill you. Mm-hmm. You have to tell someone and, and warn them and warn the police. But if it's after the fact, if, if it's already happened, there's nothing you can do about it by law you can't um i mean someone can come out and say this is what i learned how i learned it um but you can't do anything about it and you have patient doc you know you have patient privilege like you can't say anything but this dimwit jerome which is really wrong is he he then tells his mistress um and his wife i think he judalon smith he tells his mistress that he that eric confessed to him then he breaks up with the mistress the mistress gets mad the mistress goes to the police police. yeah and tells them and then apparently this is a part i'm really confused about so then apparently lyle goes to the doctor and threatens the doctor Mm -hmm. and says you can't you know don't tell anybody and then so the judge says well you've now waived your privilege the the privilege because you threatened him but if eric is the patient how can he didn't but lyle's not your patient eric's your patient well i don't so that's why i was saying is this a family so if if this was a family therapist and you were all going there together, then I can see how, well, f- okay, so Lionel's part of the family. But how is this on, if Eric confessed, how, right? Because you as the therapist, you are obligated, if you're ordered by a court of law, you're obligated to always, like, say, no, I cannot report on this. This is my client. Like, I'm not going to, this is, you know, this is confidential. Plus, why well, are you taping all I, your sessions like I this? Think- Okay. Well, first of all, I think, so I have written down here. Okay. So Eric confesses to Ozeal. Ozeal mm-hmm. called Lyle to his office to do more therapy. He said he, he, he wanted him to come or he would call the police. And then Ozeal claimed that Lyle threatened him and the mistress Smith, or this is her last yeah. name. She was listening at the door what to the, the therapy session. And at first she said that Lyle never threatened him, 
But then he broke up with her and she's like, no, I'm going to tell the truth. She goes to the police. She tells him what she heard. And she tells them that he has recordings. Mm-hmm. of the Yeah. Well, I don't know why he was. Well, there was two types of recordings. There were some of the recordings were of the therapy sessions themselves, which mm-hmm. I don't even think that's. Proper. Well, you can, you can, but you have to get you have to get um, the sign off from the patient, right. and, and there it, has to be a there has to be a clinical reason why. Well, the reason why was okay. So when they sent the parents sent Eric to this guy because he got in some juvenile trouble, and they had Eric sign a form saying that Ozeal could tell them everything, and um, so Eric said in therapy that um, he suspected this was done to keep him from talking about the sexual abuse. But the thing is, is that once Eric turned 18, which he was at that point, yeah. even, you know, he was 18 already after the parents. At, once you turn 18, you can't, you cannot, as a therapist, report anything back to the parents. Right. But I think he was operating under that waiver still or something. I don't but know. But even though it's the waiver, you still, by law, cannot go back to the parents. Well, he, he never did tell the parents, but, but for whatever reason, he was record, he was recording the sessions and then he would all, and then he also had recorded notes where he would dictate mm-hmm. notes. And that's eventually what was, it, was admitted into mm-hmm. trial. So this this issue yeah. went all the way to like the California Supreme Court. And that's why they were sitting in jail for so long. One yeah. of the reasons is that this wish, issue was crucial. This was the prosecution's case. Yeah. You know, this this guy, Ozeal, was their star witness. And this was their whole case. They needed this to get in. Mm-hmm. So they spent like months and months and months litigating this, went to the Court of Appeal, uh, went to the Supreme Court and ultimately it was decided that the tapes of the actual therapy sessions were not admissible, but the tapes, the dictated tapes of his notes were. And in those notes, he, you know, he talked about what mm-hmm. what Eric had told him. And so that's what that whole fight was about. And it also, um, oh yeah, because he also, it seemed like he was setting these guys up. He also had a tape, mm-hmm. which I don't think was admissible, where he had Eric and Lyle record a session where um, Ozeal presented his theory as to why the killing occurred, I guess, to try to get them to hmm. say, yeah. But if Eric, but if Eric was always his patient, why is he calling Lyle down there? Lyle's not your client. I, th- I think he's trying to set them up. On my- he's like, this is a big case. Like, I feel like he was he, he learned- but personally, if I heard about this, I would never send anyone oh, to this guy. Look, this guy's a scumbag. He his license was revoked. OK, good, because I would not send one person to him. Why in God's name are you got your mistress? First off, mistress, that alone makes you kind of like, hello, you're, you're you're supposed to model healthy behavior and you're cheating on your wife. Listening That's, at I the mean, door. And, and, and she's listening at the door. I know. I'm sorry, get one of every therapist in known to man has a sound machine that you stick right by your door that, that muffles sound. So mm-hmm. you, you, you don't even have good boundaries then. Why in God's name are you accepting? If I had parents that came to me and said, Will you tape record all of our things right. and give it back to me? I'd say no. I'm not the right therapist no. for you. He was a scumbag. You crazy people. I think he was initially like a sex therapist, uh, like a Ugh. couples therapist. 
This guy's. I don't know where they found this. This guy's the no. So I bet you anything. These people probably were like, oh, we'll pay you a bunch of money, work with our kid, and then tape record everything, and we want it. And I'm sure he agreed to it. It's awful. And again, I'd like to come back to. It's confidential. Once Mm -hmm. Eric told him, even if you even if you think that Eric and Lyle are bad people for killing their parents. The law is, as a therapist, it is confidential. Mm-hmm. Once someone tells you something, and I've had clients tell me a lot of stuff over the years, a lot that I cannot reveal. And it's just, that is how it works. Yeah. You have to hold the confidences. It You may not like it. You may not agree with it. But Jerome, you are scum. No, he's, he's, he's totally shady. That's and wrong. he's no longer... A therapist, thank God. Well, yeah, he lost his license good. in um, 1997. Oh, good. As of 2017, he's hosting uh, relationship and marriage and sex seminars in Portland. Oh, God. Are people <laughs> attending these things? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, that God. sounds like, oh, gosh, that sounds kooky. Yeah. Probably okay. doing weird crap there, but so, yeah, that don't w- go to those people. <laughs> that was a that was a big issue. In, yes, in that in that. So anyway, so it finally goes to court, and the way that they did it is they actually impaneled two separate juries. Yes, and one um, jury was for Lyle, one was for Eric, um, and let's see, uh, Leslie Abramson, who. Um, Let's see. Is this the second? Oh, this must be the first trial. So Leslie Abramson was uh, representing Eric initially. Mm-hmm. And another the attorney, Jill Lansing, was representing Lyle. And so the, both juries heard the, the same evidence in the same courtroom. And it was televised. And people were, you know, it was a daily fodder. Um, and this is when, you know, all the sexual abuse testimony came out. And it was actually... Um, Lyle, who was the one who did all the testifying, and he was very um, emotional, mm-hmm. very, uh, you know, I don't know, it depends on who you ask, but I mean, a lot of people believed him. Yeah. You know, a lot of people really, I mean, he was sobbing mm-hmm. a lot, and then Eric, Eric was mm-hmm. sobbing, and he, like, Lyle was apologizing to Eric for not, you know, for the molestation, for the for him molesting Eric. And that was the first time that had ever came out. It came out mm-hmm. in the courtroom. And so, you know, he did a good job of detailing um, everything that had happened. But again, once this stuff came out, people started in with the, well, why didn't you go to the police? Why did you stay yeah. living in the home? Why didn't you run away? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And they were treated just like women have been yep. treated as yeah, victims why not? Why, for years. You know, and at six and they yeah. did and they did have family members yes. testify family members that they had confided in testified and said yeah i went and told kitty and kitty told me to mind my own business yeah. and you know and they had several family members yeah. who testified and said they told me this and i went to the family and the family did nothing and i love all these people so why didn't you just i mean what at 13 you're supposed to just what pick up stakes and be like peace out family yeah, i'm gonna go what support myself what? and yeah and do what and you have to remember too that 
that they also testified to the fact that Kitty was, I mean, I'm sure Jose was too, that they were, you know, verbally abusive as well. You're nothing. You're a piece of crap. You're this, you're that, you know? And so here you are being, you know, mistreated and being told you're garbage, you're nothing. So really you're going to have the wherewithal to what pick yourself up by the bootstraps and, and figure things out. And, um, I watched this, uh, this show on, um, investigation ID on the discovery <laughs> network that I thought was really interesting because they interviewed a juror from Eric's jury talking about what it was like to be in the deliberation room. And one thing that she said was that when she looked over during that testimony of Lyle's, um, she looked over at one of the men on her jury and he wrote down, you know, um, Alleg- you know, Lyle alleges father abused him, then closed up his notebook, put it down and then crossed his arms. And that was it. And she remembers thinking, oh, this is going to be a problem, yeah. you know, because she said that she was working. She said, I, you know, really wanted to. She said Leslie's opening statement was very, very compelling. She mm. was really good. But she was like, I was, you know, I really wanted to, like, look at the evidence, look at the facts. Mm. You know, I wanted to. I wanted to really be there and look at everything. And and she said, you know, but when I saw him write that, because I was listening to Lyle and I really believed him. She said, yeah. unless I was unmoved. Yeah, she was. She said, you know, unless this guy's the most brilliant actor in town, it felt very real and very believable. And what she said was what happened on that jury. And this is the jury that both these juries um, were hung juries. She said that it got very divided that all the women mm-hmm. really believed both Eric and Lyle that they were abused that they felt like they were in danger that they you know manslaughter that they were yeah, they that, wanted voluntary manslaughter they wanted voluntary manslaughter and all the men they actually believed they said they don't really have any proof but they believed that the men were watching the news mm-hmm. or that they had someone some sort of outside pressure being put on them to convict that they all the men wanted to convict because they didn't want to be seen as gullible in the eyes of the public. Well, and this was a very male thing. There were so many triggering things. Like the prosecutor, who was a woman, Mm -hmm. she actually said this. This is a quote. She said in court that the brothers killed their parents because they knew they could never live up to their expectations. Lyle didn't have the intellect or motivation, and Eric was soft, a crybaby. Mm. So they're they're tapping into all these masculine and I don't know if it was the first trial or the second trial, but there was a lot of homophobic um, things. People thought that Eric was gay. Not Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but they somehow saw saw it differently. I mean, they they it was such a God, what is the word? Yeah, that was just the mass that masculinity yes was a theme here it was like anything that wasn't just totally masculine or whatever it was like the men were just like no no we don't want to have anything to do with thinking about that yeah well what this woman was saying was she said you know all the women were looking at the evidence Mm -hmm. and wanted to you know manslaughter and she said all the men were just justifying their opinions Mm -hmm. which sounds like life Mm -hmm. and um she said that all of them, they just couldn't believe that a father could abuse their sons like this. They just couldn't believe that this could happen. And they wanted, 
murder one and the women want a manslaughter. And that's how they ended up with with these hung juries is they could not agree that they just could not agree on this. And that's how they ended up where they ended up. And I thought I thought all of this was so interesting that they just could not see for one millisecond or yeah. believe for one millisecond that maybe it was like jose being cuban like this maybe macho machismo, man machismo yeah. man like how could this guy who had all this money and all this stuff and this beautiful wife like how is it possible that he why would, would he do this why would yeah. he do this why would he actually do this kind of thing with his sons and the other thing was neither of the sons were really doing that well. I think um, Lyle was at Princeton, but failing out or yeah. like he was he was he was failing. And then he, he got kicked out, out for plagiarism. plagiarism. Yeah. And, you know, my guess would be because he's probably a mess yeah. and probably, you know, I think that um, Eric was a big tennis person and did well, but not wasn't a superstar and i think he did okay grades wise but mm-hmm. i think these two kids were i think they were afraid i think they were afraid all the time and i think they were a bit of a mess well they could never they were never good enough yeah for their for their father and it's kind of weird it's like what did these these jurors th- 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 they don't think little boys get molested too no uh, they don't. I, I mean you know i would venture to say i have nothing to back this up with but i would venture to say that the that boys are uh abused sexually abused at the same or close rates as young girls i mean don't you think yes i just don't think it's not reported that i mean this this is the problem right is we all know that well it's not reported by most people at all but especially boys Boys. or men boys do not report it i think that um i think that what we see in terms of um you know i think that I think women are obviously in danger. I mean, most violent crimes are committed towards women <laughs> more than men because mm-hmm. uh, women are more vulnerable physically, for sure. I, But I think that um, men, yes, I think that when it comes to childhood sexual abuse, I think there is... I think it, go, it runs the gamut. Well, yeah, because... No, I just think that... I just think that, that the problem is, is that... Um, it's underreported and I think that it is, um, but it, it is extremely underreported for men across the board. No man wants to admit this because there's a different layer to it because it's usually done by men. Mm-hmm. And there's this, the layer of home, you know, homosexual, Homo- yeah, homophobia, homophobia and homosexuality. And I think that it makes it really complicated for for men because there is this piece of like well i'm not gay so well and if you're talking about a child mm-hmm. i mean my god like none of this is reported where what are children supposed to do they they don't even know like where where are they supposed to go what are they supposed to do you know when mm-hmm. it seems like when they do tell family members nobody does anything about it yeah and and that's not to say that i mean there's a lot of of mothers who you know and fathers who uh, who take who believe them do some anyway it's just uh, it was just really kind of sad to to see this played out and um you know made me think about you know because you know we talk a lot about feminism the me too movement all this kind of stuff but you know there's a whole you know men have Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know similar 
issues. And I hadn't really thought about that and hadn't thought about this case in a long time and how it would be, hopefully would be at least a little bit different today. I don't know. So anyway, yeah, the, the jury was deadlocked two mistrials and they immediately said, well, we're going to, going to try it again. Yep. Um, one thing, I don't know if we talked, did we talk, maybe it was before we started recording about Leslie Abramson, about how apparently she was a victim of childhood sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and she was a very zealous advocate for these brothers, Mm -hmm. um, and really impassioned and really went out on a limb and was heavily criticized, heavily, heavily criticized, but she really like just gave it her all. And, um, anyway, I just wanted to shout her out. Yeah. Well, I wrote one of the things down that she said, because, you know, of course she's doing this press conference after something. And when someone in the media says, well, is, is child abuse an excuse for murder? And she says, no, she says, um, she said, I didn't argue that. She said, we argue that child abuse creates fear and trauma. And that fear in a certain set of circumstances will cause people to act like they have no choice. Mm -hmm. It's like, good for you. Very well said. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the, it's like the battered woman's syndrome, you know, the burning bed. (laughs) (laughs) all of those things yeah i think what's what one thing that i do think is different is and we talked about this in killer sally right Mm -hmm. where she you know she and in the burning bed which is also another famous case is both of those battered women they do you know kill their husband kill their partners and then get up and walk right to the police station and said we did it right i do wonder with lyle and eric i mean you know they were trying to get away with it Like they were trying to like kill, you know, they did immediately try to get away with the murders. They did spend six to seven months, you know, hiding and not hiding. Well, they weren't hiding. They were out traveling. Yeah, no. Yeah. They were out traveling. They were living it up, spending money. None of this really, again, I'm not an expert in these areas, so I don't know what the psyche is of a traumatized child. I mean, I think that I have heard them be interviewed and said that they weren't happy during this time. This wasn't like they were buying Porsches and, you know, living their best life. I think I mean, they didn't know what else to do. I think, yeah, I think they were probably very, very lost. But um, I don't think it helped their case. I mean, it really never no. helped their no. case at all. So I do wonder what would have happened if they then turned around and said, we shot our parents and this is why, you know? I don't know. Maybe it would help. Maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. Well, the police kind of bungled it a little bit when, because they called 911. Yes. And said, you know, our parents are dead. They claimed that they went out to a movie or something mm-hmm. and came home and the, found the parents dead. The police didn't even do a, um, like a, like a, a residue, GR, what residue is that? test. GRS test. To see if there was gun, gun residue, gun yeah. residue on their hands or, um, uh, body or whatever they didn't treat them like suspects yes until later i guess they might have had their suspicions but yeah until they really saw them like going all over the world and honestly if it weren't for the the girlfriend uh, exposing that tape yeah they might have they might never, they might have never yeah. been arrested or yes. charged because they d- didn't have enough evidence yes so 
That was interesting. Um, so you okay. want to talk about the second trial? Because that was very different than the first trial. So the second trial, yeah, the judge uh, really, you know, kind of took over this case and orchestrated a conviction by making uh, several decisions that really, really limited uh, the brother's ability to to do the same, you know, to put forth the same defense. So the first thing he did was there was a case, uh, an appellate court case that came out in between the first and the second trial that the judge said basically eliminated the option of imperfect self-defense. And I didn't, I didn't read that case or the facts or, but Mm -hmm. it's very boring and whatever, but suffice it to say that that was no longer an option. Mm -hmm. So that took any type of manslaughter off the table. Yeah. So it was basically the first degree murder or second degree murder and, Mm. you know, death penalty or life in prison. That was really, those were the only issues. There was no cameras. Mm -hmm. It was the same judge. Um, One jury was going to try, you know, decide for both of them. So by that time, they had run out of money. You know, they didn't have any more money. Like the mm-hmm. the, the house was sold and was paid off to creditors and whoever. Mm-hmm. So Lyle was being um, represented by a public defender. And um, Eric somehow, like, he convinced Abramson to continue representing him mm-hmm. for basically, like, a a reduced fee. I'm sure she never got paid. Yeah. Um, so she was still involved in the case, but the judge limited testimony to only the events relevant to the brother's state of mind. One week before the killings, he did not allow all of those witnesses Mm -hmm. who came in the, the family members and other witnesses who came in, in the first trial, neither Eric nor Lyle testified. They didn't need to because he took self-defense off the table. Um, so it was just kind of like doomed for failure. Yeah. Well, and also the prosecutors knew what was coming. Right. Oh, so they, they were, were much better prepared yeah. because they, yeah, they were, they didn't treat the abuse seriously enough in the first one. Yeah. And this one, the, the evidence of abuse was so limited that, you know, they just fought to keep yeah. everything out. Well, and their attitude was, well, so what your abuse, what difference does that make? You're still cold blooded killers. Right. So um, in this time, the jury only deliberated for like 16 hours. In the first trial, they deliberated for weeks. Yeah. Eric's jury deliberated for three weeks. And then uh, Lyle's was like five weeks. Yeah. So this was 16 hours. And on March 20th, 1996, they were um, convicted of first degree murder. But the jury did not recommend the death penalty because of the uncertainty over the abuse. Uh-huh. And the judge went with that. The judge um, did not, um, you know, he just imposed, they got two consecutive life sentences without parole. Yeah. And they now actually are at the same yes, prison. Yes. Well, yeah, I, um, and I was saying this to you before where in this thing I watched where they interviewed the jurors in the second second trial who also said, because they didn't hear anything about the abuse, that they said, well, if we had heard about the abuse, we might have a different, yeah. different outcome. They too thought that the abuse was important. Yeah. So, um, 
I mean, maybe they would have given them second degree. But second degree, I thought second degree didn't mean life without parole. I thought second degree meant it was like 25 years or something. It's probably 25 to life. Yeah, I mean... And, but these people, they're never going to get paroled. Even if you... I know. Even if you have the possibility of parole, people don't get paroled very often. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Well, what I think is so interesting before we get to like where they are, but you know, they're both married. So, you know, well, and one of them has been married like three times. Oh, I thought one was only twice. So Lyle in 1996, Lyle married Anna Erickson. They got divorced in 2001 because Lyle was cheating on yes. her with another woman. And so then in 2003, he married Rebecca Sneed. I don't know. Are they still married? Maybe he married someone else. And then in 1999, Eric married Tammy Ruth Sackoman. And I guess she has a daughter from a previous marriage and they're still together. She wrote a book Mm -hmm. that I guess he edited and they put out. And um, uh, yeah, I guess it's really, I mean, it's hard, but apparently she and her daughter drive up there every weekend Mm -hmm. to spend time with him. But yeah, all this time, they were sent to different prisons. And then finally, in 2018, they were moved to the same unit <laughs> and they got to hug for the first time, which I thought was so nice. But I wonder if... I always thought it was kind of shitty. It was just bad that they didn't get to be in the same prison. I just was like, come on, why can't they be together? Well, yeah, I wonder if they really can be together, though. I mean, like, you would think that, I don't know, because of their notoriety, although they're not really that notorious anymore. Mm-hmm. If they have to be separated, even though they're in the same facility, the same prison. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if they have direct contact. Well, I think they're in this housing unit now where, because I think they're both on, you know, I mean, listen, they're both in their 50s. Mm -hmm. They are um, in this. They're not dangerous. Yeah, they're not dangerous. They probably have, are both in good behavior. Mm -hmm. And apparently they're in this unit where you get like, you get special things because Mm -hmm. you're in good behavior and so I'm sure they both earned whatever they needed to earn to get here. And maybe they appealed to be able to get to where they are. I mean, personally, I mean, I know, like, I know that it's probably very slim to none chance, but I would love to see, I don't know how it could be possible, but I would love to see, because I know all of their appeals ran out, but I would love to see, I just don't understand why at this point it's been 30 years Yes. Um, I don't know what it's like to be them. I don't know what it's like, what was going on in their minds. Um, yes. I think that if this had happened today, if this were different circumstances, um, you, you know, all of those things, but it, it just feels like they, they did something before they're before they were 25 when their prefrontal lobes were fully fully formed Mm -hmm. they were traumatized children that were in a really really bad state and i remember i can't remember if it was eric or lyle that said it he talked about when they finally were arrested and he was at the la county jail Mm -hmm. and he said it was loud and violent he could hear people screaming and yelling and he said for the first time in my life i felt at peace because Mm -hmm. he was finally not scared anymore. Mm. Like every, you know, imagine being 18, 19 years old and LA County jail is a peaceful place for you. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Where you're hearing people scream and yell yeah. all over and this, and you're up for murder 
of murdering your parents and this is pleasant for you. Yeah. So I remember hearing that and thinking this must be, you know, I, if you can believe it, I think that they are, even though they're in prison, I think they're happier there than they were in their home with their parents. Oh, definitely. I mean, not that's not to say they wouldn't rather be free. Yes. But yeah, at home with their parents where they walked on eggshells yeah. and were being abused. And um, although, you know, they were at the time like 18 and 21. So I'm not sure why they didn't feel they could leave. Yeah. So I don't know what that's about, because if it was really hellish there, Mm -hmm. you'd think that as soon as you turned 18, you'd just be like, I'm out of here. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that whole thing that he said, if Lyle went to him and said, I'm going to expose you. And he says, well, I'm going to kill you if you expose me. Then, yeah. Why doesn't Lyle say to Eric, you're 18, I'm 21. Let's pack up our stuff. We don't need this money. Let's yeah. just go. We're able-bodied people. Let We can put ourselves through college. We can figure this out. Let's go. Well, unless they thought that their dad would find them, if he was really that maniacal, because if it did get out, it would have just he ruined his life. It, he would have not had, he wouldn't be able to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's... He, he made a good amount of money. It's not like he was some big wig in mm-hmm. the entertainment industry. He was kind of, you know... In but he the, had an estate of he, $14 million. Yeah, he had money and whatever. Which was a lot in But he would have lost all of that. If, I know, if but they would have come out and but, exposed him. But so let's say they were just like, okay, we're not going to expose you. But we're leaving. But not even say we're leaving. We're not going to expose you. And then you just disappear. Right. Like, I, th- he, I think they thought that. But would he have come and like, and then just went across country? I think they thought that he, he would have followed them. He would have tracked them down because he w- did not want that, the stress or the worry of that out there, not knowing at any time mm-hmm. they could just, you know, yeah. they could just come out. And maybe because I remember Lyle saying that, that he basically said, not only am I going to kill you, but, you know, if you try to leave or whatever, I'm going to track you down and kill you kind Mm. of thing. And they were and they were traumatized. They were for years, sexually, physically, emotionally, everything abused. They were so traumatized that they believe that. Yeah. I mean, you and I might think, well, then, then, then you're right. They had no choice. Then they're absolutely right. So I come back to my original thing, which is. They spent the first chunk of their lives traumatized and unsure. Mm-hmm. They spent the last 30 years paying the price for that, for right. killing their parents and surviving. That 30 years is a long time. Okay. So now they're in their 50s. Why can't they sp- Why can't they come out and why can't they just spend the next? They're both married. Why can't they come out and maybe father a child or two and just spend the next 30 years of their lives living, having a home? Because you know, we have a draconian system of punishment for people who commit crimes in this country yes it's too much it's too much we have we are warehousing old men yes who committed crimes 30 40 50 years ago and just letting them die in prison Mm -hmm. people who if you let them out they would not harm anyone and you know what just because you let someone out of prison after 30 years doesn't mean you're saying that they didn't still commit that crime that they don't still you know, have, they still have to prove rehabilitation, mm-hmm. um, all that. Kind of, we don't focus on any kind of rehabilitation. So I'm not trying to discount the crime. But the point is, is that at what point has someone paid the price of being yes. punished enough? Um, at what point? I just don't believe in warehousing nonviolent people who have, you know, uh, 
acknowledged what they've done, yes. uh, have led a, gr- a good life in prison, are not dangerous, whatever. It's I don't agree with that. Yeah, it's not well, going to bring these people back to life. No, you know. Well, and what's ridiculous is we've got we've got these scumbags who are stealing money from people, ruining their lives. You know who who are getting a couple years. Oh, like Jen then, Shaw? Yeah, that are that are ruining people's lives <laughs> right. that are getting five or six years here and there and then out in a couple years yeah. after that. This is what drives me crazy. You know, in Europe, they give people 25-year sentences mm-hmm. because what they're saying is, listen, you're going to have to spend... 25 years is a long mm-hmm. time. That's a big chunk of time. That's a big price to pay. So this is what drives me crazy. I don't think that we should have life without parole. I think everyone deserves to have parole. Mm-hmm. I think I think that what if someone does these heinous crimes? Well, what about like the Night Stalker? Okay, listen. Or... <laughs> I think that there's these different levels. There are people Ted that, Bundy. Yes, or... the, yeah. this, the 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 Night Stalker and the Ten Bundies and those. But the, that is a very small pop. We right. we focus That's a not, lot on them I in know, the news, but it's not most of the. But that the is not most people of the people incarcerated. Though that is a small slice, and there are people that that are heinous, awful, awful people. I am not talking about those people. I am talking about the people that are 18, 19 years old that get into a gang and make a stupid mistake. Or crimes of passion. Crimes of passion. I'm talking about the kid who gets himself into trouble and is with his friend and his friend shoots somebody and he's next to him and now he's in trouble. I'm talking about... You know, and the ones then they've worked incredibly hard to be felony murder, yeah, rule, which they've finally gotten rid of. Yeah, in but, and he's now earned a degree and done all these things in pr- you know in prison, and now he's fifty five, and he's now got another tw- 10, 20 years. It's ridiculous. I'm talking about those people, and this I I don't believe because you have to have hope. You cannot keep saying life without parole, life without parole. Mm-hmm. You have to give people parole. People deserve it. You have to give them hope. You have to give them hope. Everyone deserves parole. And I think that you can say, I think that you have to have 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Why can't you say to these Menendez brothers and say, like, if you do this, you get 10 years, 20, 30. And so why can't after 30 years, you say these Menendez brothers, okay, it's parole time. Give us, you know, like do a presentation. Tell us why you deserve to come out. You know, what are we going to do? And then put together a plan for them. They can be on probation probation parole right you know what's the plan where are you gonna live what you gonna do and unfortunately even people who are granted parole rarely get it if they rarely get it you know especially for if you kill someone what do you mean if they're granted parole like if you, oh they they, yeah. they then they if you're eligible parole, for parole then they're not given it by right the, and it comes up that like if you're eligible for parole after 18 years 18 mm-hmm. years go by you go before the parole board you know Again, I don't know what the statistics are, but I don't think it's very good Mm because, you know, you even people who have gone through extensive rehabilitation, whatever, because you know what? This is the thing. No governor wants that on their watch where they Mm -hmm. parole someone and then they go out and kill someone. Yeah. And nobody wants that. And so for years and years and years, governors just didn't do it. And now hopefully, you know, some governors will start to be more progressive and look at it from the viewpoint that you're talking about. Yes. That we cannot just continue to warehouse nonviolent people who have paid their debt yeah. to society. Yes. Just because you're afraid that they're going to do something. Well, yeah. I mean, again, Europe, they give you 25 year sentences. 
in countries that are much better than ours in Norway, Sweden, you know what they do? They give people humane living conditions. Mm -hmm. Some countries give you humane living conditions in prison. So you don't act out out so that you be violent. Because I have a crazy, here's a crazy idea. What if we, instead of making prison so hellish, because people think like, well, let's make prison so hellish so people won't want to go there. And it's a deterrent. And I understand that. But the thing is, is that what if we made prison a place where people can actually go? And yeah, you don't want to make it club med, but you kind of want to make it a place where, yeah, you're still being removed from your family and friends and it's and it's a deterrent, but maybe not so hellish so that you can feel good about yourself. Right. Like, you still don't have your freedom, but, but you you're can being at least empowered. be treated like a human being. Yeah, you're being treated like a human being, that you're not fearing for your safety, because that's a big problem, mm-hmm. that you're not being fearful for your safety, that we are treating you kindly, that we're feeding you good food that we're not and that we are helping you better understand yourself and look inside yourself so that you can leave this place and be a better human being yeah right and that's what other countries progressive i know this hippie parents of ours so but but the thing is is that what a crazy idea but the problem is it always comes back to the reason why we're not feeding these prisoners better food is because these are for-profit prisons. And right. the people that, you know, the reality is, is that we could feed these people better food, but the people at the tippy-tippy top Won't want all the money. money. Yeah. yeah. So if the people at the tippy-tippy top didn't want to be millionaires and billionaires, yeah. we could do this. Oh, I mean, this, you know what we this... need? We need some kind of co-op hippie prison. <laughs> Well, prison reform and all this criminal, yeah. it's, it's a, it, it's, it's a big deal, but the, but going back to the, uh, this Menendez to Menudo, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we'll see if they address this or anything in the documentary. I don't, I, I wonder if this could have any I really effect hope it does. I really hope their case, but it would, the thing, I mean, you, I mean, like a new trial, you'd have to, I mean, usually that's. I mean, that's kind of what this is, where you have new evidence that's mm-hmm. never, never come out before. Although I don't know if you could argue that, you know, one person saying that um, Jose molested them is enough. I don't know. Well, I mean, that'll be interesting to see how that well, plays out. If it has any effect on on them at all. Is there anything else that could get them out of prison? Oh, they could get a pardon. By the governor. Gavin Newsom. Yeah, the, any governor you can apply for a pardon. Hmm. That's a little side project. Maybe we should be, uh, you know, writing to the governor. Yeah, I haven't been following like how many. I mean, we have a very progressive governor. I don't know how many pardons he's given. Um, I don't even know if that's a thing. You hear always hear about the presidential pardons, but that has yeah. to be for a federal crime. But I don't know. Hmm. I have to look at, I want to look into that. Like how many people has he pardoned and for what? What yeah. kind of cases? This is a good little project. Maybe here at the Psych Legal Pop podcast, we free the we Menendez. Free the Menendez <laughs> we free the Menendez brothers. That's our legacy. Yes. <laughs> hey, this might put the podcast on the map. Well, yeah, I'm sure we're pissing off a bunch of people right now by even saying this. Who are we pissing off? I don't know. I mean, you know are Jose we, and no. Kitty that popular no, no, people? No, no, no. But you know how people are. You know how people are like, you uh, know, they want these people to rot in prison for the look, rest of their lives. We're just a couple of bleeding hearts. You know, I know we we are we are we are bleeding hearts. And I admit that. And, you know, 
I just feel I like, I just feel like these, these, they're for 50 years, they've, they've suffered enough. It's just enough. It's enough. I feel like they've done enough time. I've, I feel like they've done and enough time. Especially since it was a, it was a, I, I do believe it was a crime of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe that they were abused. I do believe that they were scared, even if it, you know. And, and, and maybe, and listen, did Eric or Lyle or whomever needed to go and reload and shoot his mom in the face? Probably not. But do you think that he wanted to go and shoot that mom in the face? Yeah, probably. So again, he served 30 years for that choice that he made. It's enough. It's yeah. enough. There's there's a part of me that just kind of feels like it's enough. But our our country, this world that we live in, it's just like we just want to just an eye for an eye. Yeah. But and but hello, what did Malcolm X say? An eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. Exactly. That's why I don't believe in the death penalty. I don't I'm believe, sure. Oh, I don't. Believe I'm sure in the someone's going to come after me about that. But an eye for an eye leaves us all blind. It doesn't work. Our well, the world you, isn't how, the world isn't about like you, you you what does it mean when they go you know Michelle Obama when they go when they go low we go high like you can't spend your whole life avenging things or you know they hurt me here so I'm gonna hurt you you know it, it, it's not about that you have to learn how to forgive other people not for your not for them but for yourself and mm-hmm. if we don't do that then you're just gonna spend your whole life miserable. I agree. Yes. All I right, agree. Brooke. You want to wrap okay. it up? Tess has finished yes. her, her her prison reform. Yes. Yes. Speech. And I wish. I really do. I agree. If I didn't have to work and all this other stuff, this is what I think I would be doing. This well, prison reform. Maybe someday, you know, you you'll know. get involved with it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for joining <laughs> us. If you made it this far, thank you for hanging in there. <laughs> Um, so next week, next Thursday, we'll be talking about this Menendez to Menudo. So tune in. <laughs> um, we are on social media on Instagram and TikTok at Psych Legal Pop. Uh, if you like our podcast, if you could please subscribe and also leave us a five star rating and review. And any other things to no. announce? I don't think so. Oh, we can, we, if you like Sister Wives, yes. please. We are doing Sister Wives. Tune in every Tuesday. Tuesday. We're, we're now on... We started, went back and started from the beginning. We're now on season three. We just finished season three, episode three. So come join us. It's a lot of fun. Yes, it is. All right. All right. We'll see you later. See you later. Bye. Bye. 